I'm not going to read the entire thing. I just want to read a small portion of it. But as I was reading this this weekend and this portion of it, this seemed as potent for today in 2021 as it was when he wrote it in the 60s. And when I think about our world and the church and who we are in our world right now, I see him speaking to us as much now as he was speaking to the church back then. And so I'd like to read this, and I'm also going to read a portion of Amos, and then we'll pray. I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all the southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I have looked at the south's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld the impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I have found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where were their voices when the lips of Governor Bartlett dripped with words of interposition and nullification? Where were they when Governor Wallace gave a clarion call for defiance and hatred? Where were their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decided to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? Yes, these questions are still in my mind. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. How could I do otherwise? I am in the rather unique position of being the son, the grandson, and the great-grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. There was a time when the church was very powerful, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often and even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, 
and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. As we hear Martin Luther King's words, I think of the teacher in Ecclesiastes saying, nothing new is under the sun. And because the idea of the church and God's people being more enamored with the experience of being God's people than actually living as God's people is nothing new under the sun. This is what the passage in Isaiah is about when the prophet said to the people of Israel, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals, the Lord says. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. I pray that this is a reminder of who we are to be as followers of Christ. That we are to be people who emulate his character and his love for the world and that means entering into unjust situations to bring the justice and character of God into those places. And may we as a church never ignore that responsibility with silly excuses like, well, that's just critical race theory, or you're just following along with the rest of the culture. No, if there is an injustice problem, then the Christians need to be there. Later, earlier in this letter, Martin Luther King said, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned with what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And we cannot sit idly by in this church, in these pews, in your couch, wherever you're sitting, when we see the reality of sin in our country and in our city. We have to be people who speak the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, the saving justice of the Lord that not only saves us and restores us back to him, but also gives us a trajectory of life. And that trajectory of life is one that when we see something, no, that's not how God would want that to be. And we need to enter in and come alongside people, the Good Samaritan coming along, regardless of who it is, and doing what we can to help. God, let, please let New Life Lincoln Park not be the church leaders that walked by that wounded and needy person. May we not be people who sit idly in these pews when there's so much more work that needs to be done and so much more importantly, people that need to find him. And so on that regard, let's pray. So God, we come before you and we are grateful for the fact that you use people like us to do things that only you can do. That you work through us to be your ambassadors, your ambassadors of reconciliation in the world, to let the people know your light and your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I'm so grateful for the fact that for all of your church and how it's represented in 
places all around the world in all big cities and small cities and large areas and small villages. And I'm grateful that we get to be a part of that. And I'm grateful, God, for how you've made this part of it. The personalities and the histories and the opinions and the stories and the hurts and the dreams that make this church family what it is. And I pray, God, that you would not allow us to be complacent in the midst of a time like COVID, in a winter, in a time where it is easy to disengage, disregard, to be lax. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to step it up, to stop making excuses and be the people that you have made us to be. God, I pray that you would help us to be be willing to persevere, that we would be willing to be able to speak truth, hard truth and love, not only to one another, but to those outside, that they would know the reality of who you are and your character and the life that you call us to. God, we know that hope is only in you. And I am grateful that we can call out to you, that as we talk about prayer, that you are a God who is not distant and indifferent, but a God who is near and present and here, and you want to hear from us. And so God, I pray that this morning you would teach us that. That as much as you want us to be concerned with everything going on in the world, that we would be reminded that you are concerned with us as well. And so I pray, God, that you would do what only you can do, And that means also to speak to us this morning through your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you want to join me in Psalm 116, that's where we're going to be at this morning. And so whether you're home or here, if you want to turn to that or click to that, whatever that looks like for you. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. I actually have the verses up on the screen or on the screen as well. But I always think it's good, you know, to have it in front of you. Last week, we began a new series called Uncommon Prayer. We said that we want to get out of prayer ruts, that the idea of this is to get out of prayer ruts and to get away from misconceptions of what prayer is. That prayer is not talking to Santa, not a cosmic vending machine, not a cosmic life preserver, and not a get-out-of-doing-something free card. If these are the common ways that people can see prayer, then we want to have uncommon prayer. We want to have prayer as God has shown us in his word and invites us to speak with him. And so we are looking at the Psalms to teach us how to pray. And if you're ever in a rut like, man, what do I read in scripture? Where do I go in scripture? You can never go wrong with the Proverbs and the Psalms. To read a chapter of Proverbs a day, read a couple Psalms every day. To be filled with wisdom and to be given words of prayer to the Lord. And so we're looking at a lot of these psalms to teach us to pray in different directions. Last week, we looked at talking about praying up. Not that God is only up, he is present, he is here, but we want to use that as as a visual, the idea that our eyes would look off of our circumstances and things that we're experiencing and that we would look to him. If you weren't with us last week, We said that prayer can't be simply coming to God asking for things. Yes, we can do that, but we need to be with him. We need to be enamored with him. Praying up is focusing our perspective on God, renewing our loyalty to him, and renewing our hope in him. That was praying up. And today, this week, we want to talk about going and praying in. How do we pray for ourselves? And that's where we're going to look at Psalm 116 for this. 
What is the most common greeting that we use with one another? What is it? Hey is, yeah, that, that one works too, but how are you doing, right? How's it, uh, some variation on that, maybe the very abbreviated hey, but how are you doing? How's it going? What's up? And what's the most common response to that question? Good. Or again, variations, fine. Talking with maybe a teenager, a grunt, or something like that. But this is, this is uh, the most basic of greetings and the most basic of responses. The basis of our communication with one another is rooted in inquiry and response. Someone asking us about ourselves and then we have the opportunity to share about ourselves. But how often do you say the phrase, how are you doing, not really wanting a deep answer, not really expecting a long answer? And how often do we say, oh good, fine, when those words don't even come close to describing how you're doing and everything that's going on? Some of us, I would assume, long to have somebody ask, how are you doing, and really want to know how we're doing. They really want to hear us, that we really want to give us their attention. And some of us, I would assume, have a lot we can talk about, a lot we could share. But for maybe for some of us, we've never been told it's okay to share, that it's okay to be open, that it's okay to be vulnerable. You know the phrase, you know, you got to be tough, girl. You got to be a tough guy. You got to keep it in. But there's so much in there. That's why I love the beginning of Psalm 116. The beginning of Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2 say this, I love the Lord, for he has heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. I love the Lord, because he has turned his ear to me. He has inclined his ear to me. He has leaned in to listen to me. The prayer invitation of Psalm 116 is that God leans in to hear us talk to him. He is not a God distracted with other things. He is not a God who looks to be in a hurry or you would think is too busy. He is not a God who is irritated or bothered by you coming. He is the God who leans in, who who wants to hear what you have to say. He is the God who looks you in the eye. He is the God who knows how you're doing more than you do, but still leans in to intently listen to you share. You have his undivided attention. You have his desire to hear you all the time. And of course, we can come to God with our requests. We can come to God with our asks. We can come with our needs. But God wants to hear you talk. He, God wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your cry. He wants to know what's underneath all of that. He wants to hear you. And because God leans in to hear us, we can have confidence to call on him 
always, for as long as we live, every day, in every instance, we can know that's that lyric that we sang, he never lets go. He is present. He is here. He is leaning in. And he wants to hear you. The psalm doesn't just give us this invitation, though. It doesn't just say, God leans in to hear us talk to him. It also shows us and guides us through different things to know, to be assured. These are the type of things you can bring to God. The first thing it tells us is that we can share with him our lowest moments. We can share with him our lowest moments. Verse 3 is an image of a tight place, of caught in a trap, of feeling surrounded. It says, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. It's an image of being in great, great need. When I read this and and hear what the word pictures are and what they point to, I liken it to Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane. When he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We have those difficult moments. We have those rough times, those times when we can feel overwhelmed, when we're trapped and we can't get out and it can be distracting to who we are and what we're doing. And in those moments, what does verse 4 tell us? Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. In the midst of your valley, in the midst of your tears, in the middle of your discouragement, in your lowest, lowest moment, you can call on him. He is leaning in to hear. I said this a couple months ago in a different message. I can't remember what one it was, but we can ugly cry with God. You can let it all out with him. He wants to hear about those lowest moments. And so in that, what is yours? Maybe you've never told anyone what it is. Maybe you're not sure how to talk about it. Maybe it just keeps going. Whatever it is, you can bring that to him. He is leaning in and he wants to hear about that. He wants to know that and respond. We can share with him our lowest moments. It also tells us that we can share with him our biggest failures. It says in verse 5, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Verse 5 is a variation of a really key central passage in Exodus 34, which says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is a God of grace, of patience, of love, of forgiveness, and he is the, that, is, and he, that is the type of God leaning in to listen to you. Why the reminder of this? Well, verse 6 says, The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. The idea of unwary here is those who haven't received instruction or those who haven't heeded it. They're prone to wander, but not an adventurous, yay, let's go be on a journey way, but prone to wander in the wrong direction and on the wrong paths. 
There are those who are brought low. You know, have you ever had somebody call you out or confront you on something and there was just no excuse? You couldn't talk. You know it. As somebody calls you out on your junk and what happens to our shoulders in that moment? I mean, really, we can physically react, right? We kind of, we lower. And that's what I think he's talking about here. The idea that those who are lowly, those who are unwary, those are those who have messed up. Those who are messing up. Those who need to grow, but maybe haven't figured out the lesson. He saves us. He saves us in those states, in those wanderings, in those failures. He forgives. We're all, we have all messed up. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. We've all done things we don't want people to know. And here's the thing, though. God knows all of them. But he is the God who saves He is the God who is gracious and compassionate and loving and forgiving. And so what do you need to be honest with him about? When I say things like we've all messed up, we've all done things that we're ashamed of, I know how this works. You think of something, just like I think of something. And you need to know whatever is in your mind right now, God forgives and God is gracious And God is merciful. And God loves you. Well, no, no, no. He wouldn't forgive. He forgives everything. There is nothing that you have done that he will not forgive. And there is nothing that you have done that will cause him to love you any less than he does. And so what do you need to be real with him about? What do you need to be genuine with, knowing that that gracious ear is leaning in to hear you? Not to scold and make you feel shame, but to be honest and speak the truth while offering forgiveness and grace. We can share with him our biggest failures. It then says we can share with him our worries and our concerns. Verse 7 through nine, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my ears from, my eyes from tears, my ears from tears, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The idea of rest in these verses doesn't mean inaction, not doing anything. The idea of rest in these verses is in the presence of the Lord, of returning to an acknowledgement and awareness and a leaning back into the presence of the Lord and who he is, returning to knowing God, returning to knowing what God has done in the past, knowing how he has comforted you before, knowing what he has done, knowing how he has given you strength in the past, coming back to that place because he is the same God now as he was then. It comes down to this. There is a land of worry and there is a land of rest. Whatever you are dealing with, whatever you are carrying, whatever you are facing, you need to give it a one-way ticket to the rest of God and ban it from ever entering the land of worry. In the New Testament, it tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. He is leaning in to hear those things that stress you out, to let you know you don't need to be stressed out. He is leaning in to hear those things that cause us worry and are difficult and are so consuming for us to say, trust me. Walk with your head high in the land of the living because you have a providing, caring, loving God who knows what you are going through and is with you while you go through it. We can share with him our worries and concerns. Then it tells us we can share with him our small, smallest and our greatest challenges. In verse 10, I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. There's two key phrases here. I am greatly afflicted. It's the idea of just feeling hunched down, of hardship, of having a weight and feeling crushed. He said, everyone is a liar. I cannot trust anyone in the human race. No one is reliable. And these are, the, these are images of difficulty, of needing to overcome, of needing to keep going. And in the midst of those, it's, I trusted the Lord. I believed in him. I believed in who he is. I believed in what he said he would do. I believe and I trust him. We, are, we all have things that we process. Things that we process as far as We're not sure what step to take. We're not sure what to do, how to overcome, how to move forward, how to rise above, how to be faithful, how to figure this out. We don't know, and God leans into us and says, trust me. Look to me. Don't look at the people around you. Don't hold me hostage because of the silliness of others. Don't trust what you can accomplish. Don't trust your funds. Don't trust that accomplishment. Don't trust party. Don't trust. Trust here, God says. Trust me, God says. Whether it's the small little thing during the day or the biggest thing that seems overwhelming, trust him, which means what has he taught us to do in his word? How has he taught us to be in his word? What does his character look like in our character? We need to trust him to be those people in the midst of the challenges that we face. And so God leans in and says, trust me. Tell me what it is and trust me. What are you up against right now? What's the simple day-to-day stuff that you're responsible for? Are you going to God or are you counting on others? God leans in and says, I need to be your source of wisdom, strength, and identity. We can share with him our lowest moments. We can share with him our biggest failures. We can share with him our worries and our concerns. We can share with him our small and greatest challenges. But the psalm ends with one more thing that we must share with him. We must share with him our commitment, our devotion, and our worship. We must share with him our commitment to him, our devotion to him, and our worship of him. Verse 12 says, What shall I do to the Lord for all his goodness to me? 
around Christmas or maybe around birthdays, we'll use the phrase, what do you get for the person who has everything? And what the psalmist is saying, what good could I do to the one who is perfectly good? What could I possibly offer the one who has done everything and given everything to me? What could I possibly give God? What can I give the one who leans in to listen to my low moments, my failures, my worries, my challenges? Nothing that I give will be adequate in comparison. So I'll give, verse 13, he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. At different events, we, we say, let's raise a glass to this person. We want to honor them. We want to, this isn't just toasting them. But it's honoring them, honoring them for who they are, what they've done, the accomplishment, what they mean to us. And so he says, I lift a glass of honor and worship to the one who saves. To the one, I honor the one who leans in and listens. I want to honor and make it known that this is the God who saves. And this is the God who has saved me and listens to me, I honor him. In verse 14, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will be loyal to you, Lord, regardless of the people I'm around and what they may think. I'll be loyal when no one else is around. I will be loyal to you. You will be my first my first obsession, my identity, my focal point by which I do everything. And if there was ever something we need to be challenged with in our day today, it's that. That our identity is in him and nothing else. We, we come to him and we say, I lift up, I will do what I need to do for you. Regardless of what anyone else thinks. Regardless of the ramifications, regardless of the repercussions, I will honor you. I will speak truth for you. I will bless for you. I will serve for you. I will do honor you with my life. To that end, he says in verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious here means the word valuable. It's the idea of valuable. Valuable are those who have followed Lord valuable are their lives. The deaths of the saints are valuable to the Lord because their lives are valuable. They are his ambassadors. Like I said earlier, we are his ambassadors, his representatives. Our lives matter to him. And so, Lord, I will make sure my life is one that makes you proud. I will live in such a way that honors the value you see in my life. I will live, God, in such a way that I honor that which you have entrusted me with. I want my life to be equal to what you have given me and shown me. And verse 17, he says, no, for, excuse me, verse 16, truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will look for ways to serve you, Lord, and not let being a servant be something that I just talk about. It won't be just something I talk about when I'm in a room full of Christians or when I'm talking about things with people. It's who I'm always going to be. It's who I'm going to be defined as, as a servant and representative of who you are and the reconciliation you've called us to share. Verse 17, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will express my gratitude. 
18, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will know your word and I will live it faithfully. Verse 19, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I will join my voice to others in praising you, worshiping you, and making you known. The Lord leans in and he wants to hear our lowest moments, our biggest failures, our worries and concerns, our small and greatest challenges. But he also wants your heart. He wants to know that your heart is his. He wants to know that your love is reciprocated. His desire is that we would be holy as he is holy. And so that means expressing toward him what he has expressed to us. And if he is leaning in to hear us, we need to lean in in worship and devotion to him. We sang earlier, there's no place I'd rather be than in your love. That can't be just a lyric in a song. It has to be the guiding focus and truth of our life. That there is no place we'd rather be than in his presence. This is why... This is why the Father sent the Son to us to make not just these lines of communication open, but the relationship, of, to make it possible for the relationship to be by which these communications is based on. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection was the only thing that could forgive our sins, restore us back to God, give us new life and a new identity. It's by Him that we are saved. It's by Him that we have life with God. We can't trust in anyone else or ourselves or anything that we see in this world. It's only in him that we have the life our hearts crave. And when we trust in him, when we believe the truth of the gospel, that Christ came to save us, that our sins were put upon him, that his righteousness was put upon us, that we are made new in him, that it's only because of him all of that happens. It's only because of him we're brought back to God. When we believe that, not just up here, but up here, aligning who we are in him, then that is what Romans tells us. When we believe that, when he is Lord of our life, that's when we are saved. That's when we have a new life. And then that's when we can do, as Hebrews says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you are a child of God, you don't have to knock on the door. You can run into him. When you are a child of God, you are never interrupting him. He is waiting for you to call. When you are a child of God, you never have to think that you're bothering him because he is wondering why you haven't come yet. He is the God who leans in to hear you. He has done everything to be in this relationship with you. Put your faith today in him. Put your faith in him today if you never have done that and then come confident in to talk to him. And if you are a child of God, if you are following him, do you run into his presence? Do you come in confidently knowing that he is leaning in, waiting to talk to you, waiting to listen, waiting to hear? He is wanting you to come in and share who you are. So this is my challenge to you today. This is my challenge for you today and as we go into this week that you would find time to be with the Lord 
to be open and honest. That you would give yourself time. Give yourself 20 minutes this week. I think you could probably go a little longer, but I think to give yourself 15 or 20 minutes as a start, saying, this is my time to be with the Lord. And I'm not going to just, I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm going to share me with him. And in that, go through each of these points from the psalm and ask yourself, is there a low moment that I need to be vulnerable with him about? Is there a failure that I need to own up to? Is there something I am worried about or concerned with? Is there something challenging me? Is there a specific way I can honor and serve and worship him? Maybe get a journal to write your prayers down. That's what I do. My mind can go off in a hundred different directions. I have, you know, squirrel, that's very much my life. And so I write, I get a journal and dear Lord and just stream of consciousness, whatever comes out, write it out. And then stop for a minute. Is there anything else? And just more comes out. Maybe that's what you need to do. But I challenge you, have that time with the Lord today. And if you can't do that today, then have that time with the Lord this week. Know that he is leaning in and he wants to hear you. He wants you to come to him. Our church, our church is in um, one week into a 21-day prayer and fasting time. This is something that we do at the beginning of every year to dedicate the year to God, to, to put ourselves on focus to him, to reset things, to refresh, to remind ourselves of who we are in him. And maybe you haven't been able to participate this first week. Maybe you're just hearing about it today because it's your first time here. We still have two weeks left and we would love for you to join us in this. There are different ways that people can fast. It doesn't mean just no food for two more weeks. Different people are some people are doing juice, some people are doing, our family, we're doing fruits and vegetables and grains. Other people do a media fast of some sort. But the idea isn't to remove stuff to make yourself miserable. The, the idea is to find room, more room for God and to rely on his sustaining, his strength for us. And so what a perfect opportunity to enter into that. If you need information about the fast on maybe information on what a fast is or how to plan for that or even what we're doing. Again, if you text that number and just say, hey, I need info for the fast, I will get that to you this afternoon. We also have it where if you text FAST2021 all together like that to this number, then we're sending out prayer prompts. Just read this psalm today and be reminded of this. Read this psalm today and be encouraged in this. And those go out once a day at 7 o'clock. We, we're, we're challenging everybody at 7 a.m. and at 7 p.m. to stop and pray. Pray for our church. Pray for people. Pray for yourself. Pr praise God. Whatever it is. But to know that even though we can't see each other the way that we would want to, to know that at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. we are collectively together in the presence of the Lord. And there's something cool about that. We haven't been sending the text out at 7 a.m. because I know that maybe some people aren't up at that time even though you have the texting thing set up. But we've been sending them out at 7 p.m. And let me tell you, when that, I get that text, I immediately think of our church. I immediately think of all of you and pray for this family. 
Pray that you are having time with the Lord. Pray that you are being reminded of who he is. Pray that you are focusing on him and being refreshed in him and finding sustenance through his word and being encouraged with who you are in him. And so I ask you to join us in that, to be able to seek the Lord's face together, to lean into him, and to this week lean in to say, God, I want you to hear me. One of the things that we also have been giving people are these um, messaging boards. And so you can put it on your refrigerator, you can put it uh, somewhere in your house. If you're here today and you haven't received one yet, we'll have one for you before you go out. If you're at home and you haven't received one yet, uh, we've been trying to drive them around and drop them off at people's houses. If you haven't got one yet and you want one, please text that 773 number when it uh, gets up and just let us know, hey, I want one, but we might still come and track you down even if you don't text that because we want to see people. Um, But we want to be able to get this for you. And what's the idea of this is that once a day, look at it and ask yourself, what do I need to focus on about God today? Maybe it's his, the strength that he gives. Maybe it's his holiness. Maybe it's he's gracious. Maybe I need to be reminded that he's merciful. What do I need to pray for myself about? And again, think about the different things we've talked about today. Is there a low moment? Is there a challenge? Is there a failure? Is there, a, is there something that we're uh, stressed about? Is there something we need to honor him with? And then the last thing out is others, which we're going to talk about next week. But who can you be praying for? And so we would love for you to have these tools to help you just have this powerful time of prayer and connection with the Lord. Know that God is leaning in to hear you. God is leaning in. He looks you in the eye. He is intensely wanting to hear you, about you. He is the God who leans in and he wants to hear your heart. We're going to close today by receiving communion. Um, if you're at home and you want to grab elements, we sent out an email about that. And uh, if you didn't get that, then we want to make sure that you have your contact information um, refreshed. And so make sure that you text us so we can get that updated for you. Um, but we'll be receiving communion. Yeah, oh, thank you. Which I forgot to grab and Gabby takes care of me. We always take a moment of just quiet before we receive communion to focus our hearts on the Lord, to be reminded um, of what we've heard from his word, to be quiet and just listen to him. And especially after a day like today and a passage that we've read, to be reminded of the fact that he wants to hear us, that he has made it possible through the death of his son and the resurrection that we can come to him and we can come to him boldly that we can come to him knowing that he wants to hear what we have to say. And so we read in Hebrews again, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we think about the fact that we can come to him in our time of need. Let's be quiet before him for a moment. 
calling out to him, thanking him for the cross and the resurrection. And then we'll receive communion together. God, we pray that you would speak to us. Pray that you would encourage us. Pray that you would make a, give us an awareness of your presence, the truth of who you are. In this quiet moment right now, God, I pray you would speak. then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God, we thank you and we praise you for the God that you are. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us to die in our place. God, in your perfection to take our imperfection upon you. In your love and your service to take, to do for us what we could never do but so desperately needed. God, I'm grateful that you pursue us. I'm grateful that you lean into us. I'm grateful for the resurrection, that you conquered sin, you conquered death, you conquered wickedness, you've conquered everything and you've brought in a new life. I thank you that you bring us into it, God. I pray you would forgive us for the times when we try to live differently, when we pursue other things, when we put our trust and hope in people or parties or organizations, or our own strength and accolades. God, help us to trust in you, to call out to you, to talk to you, to lean into you. God, I pray that you would remind us of who we are in you as we receive this beautiful picture of your love, of your sacrifice. Let's receive communion together. for the cross on which you died and the tomb in which you rose. We're grateful that we can be called your children. It's in your name we pray. Um, if you want that uh, message board so we can get that to you or make sure you pick it up on your way out. One other thing I want to let you know specifically to uh, the moms in our church. And I totally apologize for not sharing this earlier. I dropped the ball on this one. But uh, Heather Anderson has organized uh, Friday night, a tired mom's nail night. And so Friday night, a time just for other moms to connect with one another. Um, it's going to be from 8 to 9 Friday. And so we'll have all that information on the church's Facebook page. It'll go out in the email. Um, and so we'd love for you, if, uh, all of our moms, to be able to just come there and just hang out and uh, to be encouraged and share how you're doing. And if, um, if you don't get those emails, 
you want that information, again, make sure you text that 773 number and we will get that information to you. And we are so grateful that you're here today. I pray that this was encouraging. If we can walk with you, if we can help you, if we can help you grow, whatever that is, we want to be a church that does that. But I can't say this enough. We can't help you if we don't know. And so we, we don't, if you're wanting to grow in a certain way, if you're needing help in a certain way, if you're needing prayer in something specific, we can't read people's minds. And so please, please, we're not God, but let it, please know this church is leaning toward you, but you have to tell us. And so especially during this time, do not hesitate to reach out. Do not hesitate to connect with us. And we want to walk alongside you. And whatever you're experiencing, good or big, good or bad in this thing, big or small, but please, please let us know. And I pray that you have a great rest of the week. I pray that you have amazing time with the Lord this week. And please come back next Sunday as we finish this series on prayer. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of the week.